Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Stay standing while I introduce Bronnie, another Bronnie, Bronnie Vanell. Bronnie Vanell is extremely real. Sometimes she's so real that it even shocks me. Uh, Bronnie and married to Daz and three gorgeous kids. They're very influential in our state. They um, mentor and really have a voice into so many pastors and lead in our state. They run a multi-purpose, a multi-purpose, a multi-site campus in Tamworth. Um, she loves people. I thought I loved people until I met Bronnie. And um, I try to get her to gossip about people, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But um, yeah, she's just got an, she's also got an excellent teaching and communication gift. I really love her and I really honour and I've just got to say one other thing I know I've probably done. These guys have sacrificed. I don't think many people know what these guys have sacrificed in their, I don't know, 20 years of ministry and, and their, they, it's not often that they talk about their sacrifice, but I've just got to say thank you for your sacrifice. And I believe, same with you, the best years are yet to come. This morning I was praying, I saw this funnel, and it was like this funnel that was getting wider and wider and wider, and as much as you can carry. He's going to give you. So he just said, keep delegating, keep giving away, keep restructuring because more and more is coming as much as you can carry. Like the widow with the empty, empty vases, as much as you can empty, he will give. So let's give Bronnie a hand as she comes. Thanks, church. Thank you, Roz. You may be seated this morning. I am a massive fan of your senior pastor. Roz there, and uh, yeah, just what a great church. We love this church. We love Macquarie Life, and so thank you for having me this morning. Um, I, that was a treat. Peter Massey, <laughs> I didn't even know that you came here. <laughs> and uh, so Pete um, obviously was in Tamworth for a, a very long time, and uh, I was thinking about his contribution to Tamworth, not just as his profession, which was amazing, and he did great work there, but he, um, he ran a youth group. Uh, at his house for a number of years and, and actually our church is the beneficiary of that in many ways. Some of the people that went to his youth group are in our church and not only that, his son led a prayer meeting when he was in high school and uh, it had this group of fired up teenagers that would go to Anzac Park and just call down heaven on our, on our city and, uh, and we, I feel again that our church is the recipient of the blessing that happened there. Um, as Peter and his family sowed into Tamworth. And so I want to encourage you because then that led me to thinking about Matt and what he did when he was in Tamworth. And, and then Bella had a fangirl moment when uh, Johnny Newsom took to the mic because um, we played his, well, she would play his CD nonstop um, after John and Mindy came and sowed into Tamworth. And, uh, and, you know, John, like, thank you because that gave her a picture even of what a godly man and godly love looks like at a young age. So I don't think you would even understand the impact that that would have. And, uh, and then, you know, obviously love for Jesus and worship. All these people, Rosie coming to speak at Shine, just having this, this footprint and this impact into the city of Tamworth that we feel like we're the benefits and the recipients of. I want to encourage you in this enlarged giving time 
that you, it's not just your gift that you're sowing in. You're putting something in that has a footprint and a landmark and, and provides for the future generations. You're not even gonna see the recipients um, of what is coming, but you're gonna be a part of it and it's gonna be part of your inheritance. Just as Peter Massey now lives in Newcastle at a different church, um, but Tamworth is still receiving from what he and his family sowed in and John and Mandy and Matt and Roz. So it's so exciting. It's hard in some ways, the enlarged offering time of year, particularly when you're pastoral, because you're making an ask of people and you're asking them to give sacrificially while at the same time pastorally caring for them. And so there's this tension that you have to manage, but I believe it was the tension that Jesus had when he was in the temple watching that widow go and give her two mites. He, he saw her, and scholars agree from all across denominations that, that it was an indictment on the culture of the day, the Judeo-Christian culture, not, not Christian, not yet, Jesus hadn't died yet, just putting that out, on the, the Jewish culture of the day, that a widow would be in such a state that she only had two mites to give into the offering. The welfare system set up by God in Deuteronomy should have ensured that she was well looked after, but he pointed out a widow having to give away everything because the community hadn't looked after her the way that they should have. But he simultaneously makes an indictment on what's happening while praising her and, and, and saying that she's an inspiration to everyone there. And I believe that that's what Jesus does. He asks us to give sacrificially because he knows the impact that it has on us and in us and through us. I remember we were doing our annual offering one year and, and I'm not one for the big ask. I'm, I'm really not. I'm a, I'm a bit backward in coming forward in that way. Daz is not. He's forward in coming backward. I don't, I don't think that works, but he will always make the big ask and we were there in church and I was sitting in the front row and he said, God's asking you to give double what you gave last year. And I was in my seat going, oh. and, uh, but Daz, you can't say that. But he felt from the Holy Spirit that that's what the case was. And it was incredible, you know, the, the person who gave 25,000 gave 50,000. The person who gave 5,000 gave 10,000. The person who gave 100 gave 200. And all these people just responded to the ask of, of what was asked of them and, and, and in amazing ways. And people sacrificially, people who I would have thought, oh, are you sure you can afford that? But they gave out of, the, out of what God said to them and they gave sacrificially and that was the best thing that they could have done. And so I'm, I'm believing that as over this month, God's asking some to come up to the ask and God's asking some to go beyond the ask. To go, you're, you're able. What, you, it's there. It, it doesn't depend on the vision that's cast. It's in your heart. It's what I've called you to. And so I believe that you can um, not worry about the maths. Just go beyond it and God will actually 100% look after you. He always has for me. That's my story. Well, I'm going to ask you the question. Matt posed it. He said, uh, we're believing for enlarged lives, not just an enlarged offering, but enlarged lives. So what does an enlarged life look like to you? If you were to just say naturally, what does an enlarged life look like? You might say, Bron, I'm trying to get away from the enlarged life. That's why I started keto four weeks ago. Um, but we're not talking about that, obviously, uh, enlarged waistlines. Maybe you'd say, well, an enlarged life looks for me like a double-story house with an indoor pool on, overlooking Merriweather Beach. And, uh, and that's what enlarged life looks like to me. And, and some of you would say, well, I've got that, to which I would say, must be nice. And, uh, and then you would say, well, so for me, because I've already got that, it looks like a castle in France so that I can order tacos to the chateau. And, uh, and, and that, and, 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 but some of you might say, well, I've already got that. And to which we would all say, you've lost touch 
with a common man. But, um, but maybe you'd say, well, you know what, Brian, it's not actually about stuff for me. And we're going to put a picture up of a woman who said, it's not about stuff for me. This woman is called Miriam Lancewood, and she's um, Netherlandish. What's that, really? What do you say for Netherlandish? Dutch? Right, okay, great. And uh, so Miriam Lancewood, she is um, a pole vaulter. She was a pole vaulter. And she studied, and she decided that an enlarged life for her looked like going to Africa and teaching children. So she went to Africa, she taught children, and hated it. Hated Africa, hated the children. And so hated teaching. So she decided, okay, well, that's probably not an enlarged life for me. So she went to India and began to travel. And because she was flat broke, she was eating in local Indian restaurants rather than the Western Indian restaurants. And there, because it was very obvious, the only other non-Indian person there was a New Zealand man who was maybe 30-odd years older than her. But she struck up a conversation, they fell in love, they got married, and they went to live in New Zealand for a little while. Now, this man, I can never get the, the brother and the husband right names, but Peter or David, one of them, we're talking to the other one, Peter or David, the brother. And the brother said, if there's some end of days disaster fill in the blank, they're not Christians, so whatever version of it you like, zombie apocalypse or maybe the Y2K bug eventually catches up with us and tears everything down. He said, if I've, you know, if that happens, I've got this farm, it's connected to the rest of everything else by a river, I blow the bridge and we just have our own community and only let people in who have something of value to add. If they have nothing of value to add, they're not coming. And, and Miriam Lancewood got convicted because she thought, no one's going to want teaching skills or pole vaulting skills while I'm there. And she decided that she wanted to learn to live completely off the land with nothing else. So she and her husband decided to spend a year in the mountains of the South Island of New Zealand living off only the land itself. They took some seeds and they took some bows and an arrow. No, <laughs> some that would be counterintuitive, some arrows and a bow. And, uh, and, and they decided that that is how they, they, would, they would live. And they, that one year turned into eight years. They loved it so much. So that was, she was like, well, an enlarged life for me looks like an absence of stuff. And, and, and so for me, I love adventure. So I decided, she went eight years in the hills of New Zealand. I decided to go a good four hours at least. And we've got a video here of that experience. It only goes for about four hours. No, no longer visible walking terrain, so I kind of made one and ended up crawling in the snow on my hands and feet. So, uh, I'm just getting a photo now in case I don't make it. On the basis of no print, just over over tracks today. Thank you. 
through water what abuse. So it's a little bit of coming in. So it's wise to turn back properly now. It's very inviting so it's like okay. This time I'm actually really getting back a little bit vulnerable. It's been a little bit of slippage going on. My shoes are snapping most times over. So I think it's time. Nearly back, back down, down to, to where, where I started, started. and uh, yeah. hardly any snow, snow. Right, right up there. Oh, don't want to overstate it. Oh, there is where I made it to. Well, nearly. And uh, it's in this moment that I have a strange affinity with, and I must say, affection for that I've never felt before for Samwise Gamgee, who uh, he was from the Shire. You know, I'm from. Western New South Wales, farm girl. He climbed up a mountain. He was underrated. I feel like I've underrated in these moments. And uh, he was really the true hero of the story. And I think it's without question that today I am the true hero of this story. It's eventful and insignificant as it has been. I am actually the hero of it. The absolute, the absolute dream. dream. I'm here. Right. So um, we, we long for adventure. We long for the enlarged life. And, and if you're like me, you'll just make it up if, even if it's not happening. And, and so we long for this. Maybe for you, it's stuff or not, absence of stuff. Maybe it's adventure or safety. Maybe it's waistline or reduced waistline. What does the enlarged life look like? Well, I want to read you a scripture from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2, that says that it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So that suggests to me that if we are to live a life that is different to everyone around us and we acknowledge that the people around us as a, as a rule are looking for something more than the life that they're living, that if we're to not be in the pattern of the world around us, and it's actually something that goes on in here, something that goes on in our mindset rather than something that is external to us. Um, Paul writes again from the message um, version, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallest you, smallness you feel comes from within you. Tell us what you really think, Paul. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as, open, as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. So that suggests to me that the enlarged life is something that goes on up here and it's something that goes on in here. And so if in the enlarged life is not about what's around us or how much we have or how much we refuse the things that are around us, but instead happens in here and here, then what does that look like? Lord, would you show us what that looks like this morning? Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I've added some parentheses in this passage. They're mine, they're not... 
Peter's, so just so you know. Oh, and also I need to tell you, it's 2 Peter, chapter 1. If you go home and look that up, then you'll think that I'm apostate. Okay, so verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, which I believe is the whole goal to receive that rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour. So the first thing that I'd love to point out about this passage is that it says here that His divine power has given us everything we need. Everything we need. So if you've wondered, well, I don't feel like I'm up to scratch. I I don't feel like I can possibly live it. I look at other people living this large life and, and I don't think that that's what I've got. Well, His divine power has given you everything you need. And the enlarged life is a life that is lived through and through. And from this passage, we're going to see and through and through. Let me show you what I mean. We have here that his divine power, you might not be able to see that, but trust me that I'm writing what I'm saying. His divine power has given us everything we need, but it says through, through, what does it say next? It says through our knowledge of him. Now, that's something that all of us have access to. You would wonder, you know, maybe God's got a smaller life for me. Small, large, it's all just a matter of perspective because it's about what happens in here and here rather than what the externals are. And so if this is His divine power giving us everything we need to live this large life, then we need to know that it's through our knowledge of Him. This word here is gnosis. It's the the Greek word that says it's contact knowledge. Now, you've got to know that before I met your senior pastor, Roz, there, I'd heard of her. (laughs) My friend Ruth had told me, Bronnie, you've got to meet Roz. She's just delightful. She's the most authentic human that you'll ever meet. She's, this is what Ruth said, she's different to other people that you might meet in ministry. Thank you, Roz, for being different. I love it (laughs) to other people. But it wasn't until Roz came to Tamworth and I met her that I got true knowledge of who she was, that I got to sit with her and eat with her and actually get an understanding of who she is. It was the contact knowledge of her that caused me to have an understanding of who she is. Same with Mark Zare. I'd been told things about Mark Zare. You've got to meet Mark Zare. And then when Mark came, oh, he did my heart so much good. So real, so so random, so amazing, so, um, you know, just a father, a beautiful father. And so it was my knowledge of him that helped me understand who he was. So the Bible says that his divine power gives us everything we need, but it's through our knowledge of him. And this is contact knowledge. It's not knowledge about him. It's not knowledge of, of you know, I, I heard the songs that they sang. It's the knowledge of I'm in his presence. 
It's the knowledge of I read his word and I let it read me. I don't just go to the word because I've got to tick that box, but I'm like, God, okay, I read that. I don't understand it. Would you help me understand it? Would you, would you let it do its work in me through the knowledge of him? And then it says that this is through his own glory and goodness, that we're called by and through his glory and goodness. I'll tell you what, I love that because it's nothing that I've done and it's nothing that you've done. If I'm not holding him up, I can't let him down. He's not spending his life disappointed with me. In fact, it was the thought that the way I was living was making him sad that caused me to make a decision as a teenager. I was sitting in church. I was doing the overhead projector. Everyone remember overhead projectors? One time, um, one of the overhead projector operators saw a fly on the, on the slide, on the sheet, and so he squashed it and then realized that that wasn't great on the big screen, so then he spat into his hanky and wiped it. Those were the days. <laughs> and, uh, but I was on the overhead projector, and communion was being handed around. And, uh, and all of a sudden, because I was the biggest hypocrite that you can imagine, I was one way at school, I was one way at home, I was another way at church, I had everybody fooled, and I had everybody thinking that I was like they were in whatever environment I was in. And I just had this moment of feeling the inauthenticity of my own life and the distinct impression that the way I was living was making God sad. I'd never thought about God having emotions before. And I thought, God, I don't want to make you sad. I want to make you happy. I want to make you proud. And then it took a very long time for me to walk that out. So there's a difference between God having emotion and God just being let down by us. God doesn't go, you've let me down, so I'll wipe you. You've let me down and so I can't trust you anymore. Now he is God and he is good and it's through his glory and goodness that we are called nothing that we could have done ourselves. And so this causes us to live the enlarged life as we focus on his glory and goodness rather than our failures. And then it says, through these, his glory and goodness, we are given... His very great and precious promises um, and His great and precious promises are found in the Word of God. I wonder if you know any of them this morning because this is what happens. If we don't know His great and precious promises, we need to realign our mindset because the enlarged life happens in here and in here and we need to back up the truck, beep, 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 to focus more on His glory and goodness and get an understanding of who He is and gain a deeper knowledge of Him because then that swings us back around. This is a, a pendulum that swings as we gain understanding of Him. So His knowledge of Him and then we see His glory and His goodness through which we receive His great and precious promises. Hebrews tells us that we must first believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of those who seek him. I wonder if that's your understanding of who God is this morning, or, 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 or what is your attendance at church based on? What is your, I mean, you're eight o'clock guys, so yeah, you're good, you're good. Um, 10 o'clock, they might need this message a bit more, but you guys are fine. The, the um, the, the understanding of his great and precious promises that he is a God who longs to do good towards you changes everything. It changes the ability to give into an enlarged offering because you understand that God is 100% for you. It changes the way you are in generosity. It changes the way you are in generous speech towards your family. It, it changes the way you are around your friends because you understand that God has great and precious promises. That, it, that he's not Santa Claus, but nor is he Gandalf up there with a big stick going, you shall not pass. That's not God. He loves you and he's for you. And then it says, through these great and precious promises, 
that we participate, oh man, we can't miss this, we participate in the divine nature of God. Come on, somebody. What now? We participate in the divine nature of God? Man, we're only two verses in. I'm going to have to wrap up. But regardless, this is This is incredible, that through and through and through and through, we get the enlarged life, His divine nature giving us everything that we need, and it's through our knowledge of Him that we gain that divine nature, but it's through His glory and goodness, goodness, and it's through His great and precious promises, And, and then we're able to participate in the divine nature. Just hold on for a minute, stop, it's hammer time, but wonder... Have you ever thought that you're invited to be a participant in the divine nature of God? I don't think about that often enough. But he says that we're able to do this and that as we do, his divine power will give us everything that we need to live a life of godliness. He's got it all sorted out. We can't make this stuff up. He is an incredible God who through his son Jesus has invited us into this relationship that through him and through him and through him and through him, we get to live an enlarged life. I've got eight verses to go and no time to do it, so I'm going to stop there. I'll invite the band to come if that's what happens next. And uh, I just want to encourage you. um, I'm doing a different verse in the... I'm a different message in the 10 but you want to come back for the five five o'clock oh the 10 of the just stay all day you've got a day off tomorrow it's all good um but Daz is preaching in the five and I just want to let you know he's an incredible leader he's a large leader like I just said he'll he'll challenge you and and, and don't you just get bored sometimes with the lack of challenge in your own life you just let yourself sit on your laurels and you don't challenge yourself to live bigger anyone no? Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Um, my children challenge me all the time to get better. <sighs> but, um, but I would love you to come back at, um, for the five to hear um, Daz because he's an incredible leader. But I just will mention the rest of this passage. You see, it talks about adding. Once we've got this, we've got everything we need. We've got everything we need. You have everything you need. But then it says, let us live up to our calling. Make our calling and election sure. So that's not saying that we gain our salvation through that because it's relying completely on Him that we gain our salvation and live the enlarged life. But then it says, make your calling and election sure. And it says this, it says, start with faith. Start with faith. Maybe this morning, that's your first step. You're just gonna put your faith in God. You know, the writer of Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you don't need to figure everything out. If you could figure everything out, then you're no longer needing faith to put in God. And and He's pleased by your faith. He's, what was that? Insanely attracted. What was it? Beautiful. Whatever that word was, adjective, attracted to our faith. So add to your faith, then it says. Add to your faith, goodness. And that doesn't mean that all of a sudden you have to be a perfect person, but it means if you just say that I've got faith in Jesus and you don't try to change your life whatsoever, you don't try allow Him to alter it in any way, but you just want to live the way that you want to live, that'll kill your faith flat dead. You'll have just enough of Jesus to annoy the heck out of you because you'll feel bad when you do stuff, but you don't have the victory to live in freedom. So you want to add to your faith goodness. And then it says add to that goodness knowledge. Add more knowledge. Get more knowledge. Not so that you can be the most knowledgeable person in the room and, and astound everyone with your Greek and, and Hebrew. But no, so that you have that contact knowledge with Him where you understand the presence of God is what changes things. 
So faith, maybe that's your starting point today and, and, and that's all you need to do right now. But maybe you've got faith and you need to add goodness and you need to just allow God to change you a little bit more. Maybe you're already there and so you can add knowledge and you just need to engage with God. I think we're all there. But then it says self-control, that we add self-control. And I could probably stop there, self-control. I could spend the rest of my life just trying to add a little bit more self-control. I've got some friends in the room. I see you nodding. And then it says endurance. You know, you're still here. So go you. You're already winning. You showed up. You're winning. But keep enduring. Keep going. Keep going. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. There's that one. Great and precious promises. Faith and patience. Keep going. Keep going. And then godliness. And, And we would say, how impossibly could I be godly? But this godliness is a response to who He is. This, this godliness is a, a homage to your Lord and King. This godliness is, is a, it's a reverence and an awe of who He is. It's, it's appropriating the proper response to what God has already done for us. And that in turn just leads us into a life of godliness. And then it's brotherly love. And you might say, why is the Bible so, you know, why does it say brotherly love? Why is it the Christians that have to love each other? You get this. You get this because the Bible draws a big circle around the world and says God so loved the world and says that we have to love everybody else. And then it says, but especially do good to the family of believers. And then it says, husbands and wives, lay down your lives and submit to each other out of mutual affection. So we understand that there's circles. We get that we should put our family, um, you know, above other things in life, above our workmates, so we get it. So we should treat each other well. So I'd love you just right now, the person that you hate across the room, if you could just stand up and go over to them and just say, I've hated you all this time, but I know now that I need <laughs> to love you. <laughs> Obviously, we don't do that, but if there's a hardness in your heart towards anyone, realise that this is the very thing that God's got for you, the church to put you inside of, to rub off those hard edges, to bring that stuff up out of you so that He can deal with it. If you're like, I I don't get church. There's so many people that I like there. Exactly. That's how it's supposed to work. And so brotherly affection. And then it says, and add to that, love. 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 Just love. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, I pray, Lord, for everyone here to live the enlarged life. Mighty God, we don't want to live small lives. We don't want to be those of whom it would be said, your lives are big, but you're living them in a small way. Lord, open us up to live the big, expansive, enlarged life that you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.